to Hockey Hot Dish, a podcast from Hockey Wilderness at SB Nation. I am Matthew Smith, or at From Tape to Tape on Twitter, and I am here with Justin. Hey, everybody, I'm Justin. Also from Hockey Wilderness. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, things are a little bit uh, not great in the world of the Minnesota Wild at the moment. Uh, it was the first uh, couple games were kind of rough. And uh, we're recording this uh, podcast right before the start of the game against the Colorado Avalanche on Monday night. Um, Justin, is there anything that uh, is on your mind? Yeah, the first thing that comes to mind for me is definitely the way the leadership group has responded and the way we're looking to see the whole team hopefully respond against the Avalanche, uh, just based on a lot of the stuff that the leadership has said, like Zuccarello and Flurry, they both sound pretty embarrassed, pretty pissed off. Um, they're dropping f bombs in interviews, so that can be a good. It can be a good thing that they're, you know, that there's a little bit of that their gears are ground, but you also don't want to see it just being like wallowing. So things I'm looking for tonight are hopefully just being a hard team to play against. The Avalanche should definitely be coming into a hornet's nest, even though they're probably still a favorite. Should be a lot of you know hard skating, chipping pucks up the boards. Um, just fighting to get dump-ins and making it really tough on Colorado to enter the zone clean. If we're not seeing much of that, um, I'm going to be a little worried about the leadership group. Things that I like to see, you know, I, I only watched the Rangers game. I didn't get a chance to see him play the Kings, but when I saw Felino step up didn't and... didn't miss much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I saw Felino step up and fight uh, Ryan Reeves, one thing I noticed is... He actually very rarely likes to fight Ryan Reeves. I think he knows he's out of his weight class, just like the rest of the league, when they fight Ryan Reeves, and he doesn't feel like getting punched in the face. But that's a response that's on the ice that's trying to get the team going. And it was also kind of a show that, you know, what was going on wasn't acceptable and something needed to change. So hopefully we see the on-ice product change a little bit as well tonight. Yeah, so the Colorado Avalanche are coming into tonight 1-1. One and one. They won their first game against Chicago and then uh, lost against the Flames, who are probably a better team, maybe a better team. Depends how you think about it. Um, but tonight you pointed out that Zuccarello and Flurry were two of the more pissed-off players, but they also both happen to be out tonight, uh, with Zuccarello being like a late scratch because he got hurt during practice. And then obviously Flurry's extremely subpar performance the first two games uh, means that Gustafson gets the call tonight uh like do you think missing those two players is probably a detriment considering they were the ones that were most fired up i i mean i hope they weren't the ones that were most fired up frankly the whole team should be pissed off and they were just the ones that got in front of a microphone um i mean flurry was taking the blame and i think a a fair amount of it lands on him although there's been some real bad i mean there's been plenty of looks that he has no control over but even in spite of that i mean there's soft goals going in so him being off, um, I don't want to say it can only help the team because at his best, he's obviously better than this. But um, I, I think that even though those two guys aren't out there, the rest of the leadership group and really every member of the team needs to chip in and, and make the changes that are going to make this game watchable compared to what we've seen the last couple games. Yeah, I think the easy way out was to put a lot of the blame on Flurry for the performances in the first two games, but... Obviously, he wasn't the only one who wasn't performing well. Um, the defense was pretty suspect for both games. Um, and maybe it was with Gustafson taking his spot uh, in the second game. It kind of like woke the defense and the team up a little bit. Um, he seemed to perform 
pretty okay. I know he still let in three goals, but uh, I, I, it seemed like I, I, I felt he was he played fine during his time in that game. But it will be a bit of a bounce back game. It'll be pretty tough. I this is probably not the opponent that I would want to uh, set all the sights on to sort of restart the team. Um, Colorado's got a lot of weapons. And maybe defense isn't going to be the the most isn't the easiest thing to come by tonight. No, certainly not. Um, I I mean you do see if you look at some some stats that a, a lot of the defensive lapses have been, you know, there's there's offense coming back the other way. Um, there, if you watch, you know, there's there's multiple tap in goals, but the defensive bleeding hasn't been so bad outside of probably the two rookies. Those are the most noticeable ones, and there are, there are misses. There's, I mean, the Rangers game was a little worse. Brodeen and Dumball were really bad in that game. But um, hopefully we can see a little bit more process over results focus tonight. Since you have the Avalanche coming to town, maybe that takes a little pressure off or at least lets these guys focus on, you know, making good plays even if the results don't come. In a, in a, in a roundabout way, that might actually be a good thing as long as they can just feel like they aren't getting totally shelled all night. Yeah, and there are bright spots from the first couple of games that maybe we can focus on instead to be a little bit for a little bit of optimism. Like Matt Boldy has been <laughs> unreal. Uh I know th- these are some I've seen some hot takes that have said that how long is it going to take before Matt Boldy is going to be the Wild's best player, which seems a little <laughs> a little aggressive, but he's been very very good. He's been real good. And uh, it's it was especially it's especially nice to see it with the concerns coming into the season with his separation from Fiala and if that was going to have an impact on his play, clearly hasn't. He's got four points in two games, so I think I'm confident with that going forward. Uh, is there any other players that you think have been good so far this year that maybe surprised or someone like like Zuccarello? I mean, I guess we we kind of always expected a Zuc. I mean, yeah, you can definitely be happy with uh, a lot of the core. Um, I think that's kind of the way Garen builds the team is you, you get a core, you pay the core, and then you keep moving in young talent. So I think that, uh, you know, you look at Spurgeon and you look at the Felino and uh, Erickson Ek pair. Those are definitely bright spots. Rodin and Dumba did bounce back after the first game. They looked better the second game, or at least I should say they performed better, not having seen it. Their stats are definitely better. So... I think the core of the team is intact, and that was my big concern uh, after the Rangers game, was knowing that defense is supposed to be a given on this team with, with the top four. So seeing the defense, you know, the, the the core of the defense and the defensive line, the Erickson Eck and Felino pairing with Jost or with, you know, eventually with Greenway, uh, that was comforting to me. That's the biggest bright spot to hopefully build off of here and see a little more defense from the rest of the team. Yeah, once Greenway comes back, it, it will probably add a pretty big boost. I mean, I feel like the grief line is, um, you know, Everson's security blanket. <laughs> like, if things aren't going well, you can just put them out, and you can be pretty assured uh, that they're going to play well and sort of tilt the ice back in your favor. And, I mean, he's still a little bit of ways back. I think he was just cleared for contact that today or yesterday, but that will make a huge difference. Um I mean, another player that I want to talk about is Marco Rossi. I think we were all kind of up in arms about his treatment in the last game. Um, he only played four minutes and 33 seconds. Four shifts. I think it was four shifts in total or five shifts in total all game, uh, which is not what you want to see from 
like for the treatment of probably your best prospect if you're not counting Matt Boldy. So, or yeah, I, I mean, he's still probably rated higher than Wallstead, but did you have any thoughts about, about Rossi or any opinions about what's going on with him? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to like about Rossi's game, actually. He's been given a lot of defensive zone starts and neutral zone starts. Um, he hasn't really gotten to showcase his scoring talent being on that fourth line. With with respect to Brandon Duhame and Connor Duar, uh, they're not, you know, Kirill Kaprizov or if, to take Matt Boldy last year, he's not getting to play with a Kevin Fiala-level scorer. So... I like seeing him when he's in his D zone, he gets the puck and he really sprints out of the zone. You can see the skating on display. Um, It's a little bit of hesitancy, I notice. Um, He's kind of in the right spot and then he doesn't close on the puck. So that's just a rookie mistake and that's fine. That's that's what you see out of rookies. We've definitely been spoiled um, by Kirill Kaprizov, watching him come in and just immediately be a factor. If you look around the NHL or any pro sport, your most exciting rookies usually are not ready their first year that they get into the league. There's a lot of growing pains, and that's most of what you see out of Rossi, um, which is why I'm a little frustrated to continue seeing him deployed in the D zone, not given a lot of scoring opportunities outside of being on the second power play unit, which barely plays. And um, I'm hoping that he gets back into the lineup soon after this learning experience or timeout or whatever they're calling it. Yeah, and I think with him especially, like like you pointed out, we were a little bit spoiled with Matt Boldy. Matt Boldy was probably the best defense player on the line that he was played on last year with Gaudreau and Viala. Those aren't exactly, you know, defensive stalwarts that he's playing with, so it probably wasn't very hard. And so by comparison, he probably endeared himself a little bit to Everson. But I, I, it really is like cart before a horse. Like, you can't, you can't damn him for a shift, which is kind of what feels like what happened. Uh, the other night, and then Everson came out and tried to use the, ex- I mean, not tried to use the excuse. The reason he gave was that they were, they were line matching, which seems like an outrageous thing to do in the second game of a season, especially against an opponent like the Kings, who uh, we don't have high expectations for, at least I don't think most people have high expectations for. It just seemed a little crazy, especially with like how poorly the game was and like how wild it kind of was um, and how... Minnesota was always playing from behind. There's just a lot of reasons why you probably put Rossi into the lineup and then you just chose he just chose not to. It was it was very frustrating. I I was just livid, absolutely livid. But whatever, we'll move on. He's not uh he wasn't originally planning to be in the lineup tonight. Um but because of uh well actually, uh they've just announced that both Zuccarello and Rossi are in warmups. So either Rossi might be a last-minute scratch, or maybe somebody else is coming out. I uh, don't actually know what's happening. But the original plan was that Rossi wasn't going to play tonight. Yeah. Which Michael Russo, the god of Minnesota hockey, did make a great point. If he wasn't playing due to line matching, and that's the only reason, why would you scratch him tonight? So it had nothing to do with the line matching. It had everything to do with how they felt his play was going. Which, again, comes back to my original point. How badly could he have played in those four and a half minutes? That And he wasn't exactly. even that bad. He was basically unnoticeable. And, uh, I mean, plus minus is very flawed. And, like, it's very stupid stat. But he also was not a negative. Like, he was a zero for the end of the game. So... He was one of the few players who wasn't on the ice uh, for goals against in the in sort of the net. 
Yeah, his analytics have definitely been, they've been ugly. But again, he's starting in the D zone and the neutral zone. He got two offensive zone starts against the Rangers, and he got none against the Kings. So it's much more difficult. He easily has the worst line mates on the roster. Again, no offense to both those players, both Duham and Dewar, but they are they're the lowest quality players that he could play with. So that's frustrating too. Yes. And also, yeah, one more player I just want to talk about, Ryan Hartman has been trash. I feel like we probably haven't been talking about it enough. He's been brutal. His game, um, especially against the Kings, he was giveaway happy. He was just handing the puck over to everybody. So Yeah, I don't, I don't know how much time we want to spend on Hartman here because I know we're kind of talking about the rookies a lot, but I, I do like that they're kind of giving him a bounce back opportunity because I believe he was taking line rushes with Marcus Foligno and Joel Eriksson Ek. And that is the easiest fucking spot on the team to play, in my opinion. <laughs> Easier than playing center for Kaprizov and uh, and uh, Zuccarello. Uh, it, like they just they just play all the defense for you. They go to the net. They dump the puck into super good spots on offense for you to just pick up. And then they go like check the guy that comes after it for you. Like they, it, that's so easy to be at. So right, I'm, they're both the back. They're both back checkers and four checkers. Yes, like they will deal with everything. Just be there around and you'll be fine yes (laughs) yeah and that i mean realistically that is the best spot for ryan hartman too because that is kind of him just being around is kind of how he has succeeded with zuccarello and kaprizov because they really just need a guy who will shoot the puck and they make skilled players look good too because they do get open and they both can take one timers they can shoot and they they're underrated offensive abilities so gonna get opportunities to warm that stick back up and Get that hot shooting hand going again, hopefully. Okay, uh, we're just going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. Welcome back to Hockey Hot Dish, a Minnesota Wild podcast from uh, Hockey Wilderness at SB Nation. Uh, We were just talking about sort of our overall uh, judgment of Minnesota Wild players over the first two games. Not the greatest first two games of a season, but there are some some things to be happy about. Uh, they don't outweigh the bad stuff. Um, but Justin, I just want to play. We'll just do like a quick uh, quick hit about a few players, and if you want to rate on a one to five scale how you're feeling about them so far, uh, and then maybe we can talk a little bit about why we're feeling that way. Uh, so first, Kalen Addison on a one to five. How are you feeling about him? Oh, you could you could answer one so easily. Short term, it's definitely a one, feeling not great. But by the end of the season, I could be a, I could be a five. So I, I'd say he's like a, a two and a half right now. Yeah, I think uh, in the the chat, I think you were a little bit um, more sour on his performance on the power play than I was. Uh, you, I think you specifically pointed out that you didn't think he was shooting the puck enough, which. Um, yeah, it depends what they want out of him on the power play. I mean, like, it feels like Spurgeon and Dumbo, when they've gotten power play minutes, the expectation is that they're going to shoot the puck. But I think on the first power play unit, especially with Zuccarello and uh, Kaprizov and now Boldy, um, maybe the best situation is just get along the half wall or down low and let them do their thing. But I can definitely see what you're saying, that you, you would hope that he would shoot the puck more. That point shot needs to be a threat even if it's not going to go in uh to sort of like use a basketball term like space the floor a little bit like spread out the defense so they can't just all collapse around the net 
and suffocate those guys who do their best work around the net. Um, but you, like you feel that he should be passing more, or sorry, shooting more. I don't know if that was me. Um, I actually oh. one thing that's really interesting about Addison to me is he's a quarterback, not a running back. Um, I think Matt Dumba when he's playing the point. Uh, he just likes to take one-timers, and it definitely keeps the PK, the opposing penalty kill, honest. But uh, when you have a guy up there that's shifty with his skates, shifty with his passing, and then just picking the correct side of the power play to move the puck to, that's something we haven't really had in Minnesota. Um, Ryan Suter thought he was that, I think. But yeah, Addison is definitely, his job is to distribute, and I'm excited to watch that as the year goes on, unless they decide to fucking healthy scratch him too for some Yeah, reason. I think as he starts to learn, like I do think that he's sort of been given a spot, and I don't think that it's really at risk of losing it, just because his upside is so much higher than the other guys around him on the bottom of the, the depth chart for defensemen. But once he kind of learns that his spot isn't at risk, if he kind of fucks up, um, he'll play a lot better. Like if he if he's comfortable in knowing that he can make mistakes, sort of the same way that when when we see the best out of Matt Dumba, it's when he can kind of do what he can do really well. Like he can step up in the play, he can throw big hits, he can sort of pinch. Sometimes it comes to bite us in the ass with Dumba, but I think once Addison knows that he can do that stuff, he'll his play will settle down and it'll probably be a lot better, but that's going to take some time. Yeah. And to talk quickly about like the other 58 minutes of the game when he's not on the power play, the only problem, like the biggest mistake he's making is he's not jumping to pucks, just like Rossi. He's kind of in the right spot Um, for an offensive defenseman. He's getting to the right spots enough, but he's not stepping up. There was one goal that the Rangers scored where he was behind the, the Rangers had the puck behind the net and he didn't chase the guy out, even though, he had help in front of the net, and then the guy just moved around and dished it to the front, and it was a one-timer in. So if, he's, if he steps up and actually gets aggressive, he will be making better defensive plays, which is why long-term I'm not concerned, but I think it's going to take a long time for him to get confident with those spots. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, de- I definitely agree with you on that. Okay, uh, I mean, we've already talked about him a bit, but uh, on a 1-5, to five, Marco Rossi. Uh, it's a 2, but we got to see more out of him. Uh <laughs> Yeah, we talked about him a lot, so you know why. But I, I'd like to see a lot more of him before I go anywhere extreme. Yeah, I, I just want them to uh, sort of shit or get off the pot with him. Like, either send him to the AHL so he can play the minutes that he needs to, or realistically, just hand him a top six spot. I don't know why we're dancing around this. He needs the top six spot. He needs the guys that are gonna that he can actually play with and be effective with. And there is no space for him on the grief line. Uh, he's not going to be a winger. And, like, if we're putting up Tyson Jost, who has been really good in the first couple of games, um, potentially onto the first line, which I think was what was floated once um, was floated for tonight. Um, like, that should just be Rossi. Like, Tyson Jost is great and is probably best served as a middle six role, um, like, as in a scoring role, but... It, it just seems silly to, like, put Rossi up there and see what he can do. Like, see, give him the best opportunity. The Rossi lineup question almost makes me wonder if Eric Zanak and Felino will be split at some point this year. Because as amazing as they are together, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't be half of what they are, but twice as often if you put them on different lines. And it feels like that, like, 2.5, it's like the not the second, it's the second best line, but it's, 
deployed as a third line, and it just gets in the way of the way that a guy like Rossi should be able to progress up the lineup. And, I mean, you can put Rossi with Felino and maybe Greenway, and maybe it's just as good. And I just – it I'd like to see them try it a little bit potentially. But if, you know, Rossi comes back, scores two goals, and gets himself on the second line, I suppose that circumvents the problem. Right. Yeah, I think – it will be interesting to see how Greenway plays when he comes back, uh, even right away. Because if, if Greenway has taken a little bit of a step forward mm-hmm. from even last year, or, or near the end of last year where he was playing really, really well, if he continues that trend, um, I think you probably could take um, Erickson Eck off that line, and it wouldn't make a huge difference. But if Greenway is going to play kind of passively like he has been um, like known to do occasionally, missing that sort of... Uh, like dog without a bone that is Erickson Eck on that line could be a huge detriment because Felino can't do all the work himself. He just can't. That's true, but that's why you pay, you know, three out of four of your defensemen, what, upwards of $5 million, some right. of them making eight or nine, I think, so. Yeah, especially with the way that Minnesota runs their D. Like, they're given, all of them are given the green light to jump into the play. It's not uncommon to see two defensemen and a forward on, like, a three-on-two rush, so... Okay. Uh, how do you feel about Flurry so far? Uh, it's kind. Of, it's a one. I mean, if he, I, I, I thought it was so cool when he came to town, but at the t- at the time, I was a little worried about it, just because when you're old and you hit that cliff, you hit it pretty hard. The one thing that made me less hesitant is usually when someone hits an age cliff, it's due to injuries, and you don't see that with Flurry. He's been healthy. So theoretically, he should be aging pretty gracefully, but he, I don't want to say both games are entirely his fault, but if you get league average goaltending in both of those games, you you might win one. You get to overtime in one of them. I mean, especially against the Kings, they did, the offense went crazy and did come back. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm at a one for Flurry, but he's so cool to have on the team. So who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if if uh, even if he has hit that cliff and he turns out to be like closer to a backup, like that's the sort of workload that he can do. I don't think he could do a better like uh, like wily veteran to escort the the growth of younger goalies than uh, Flurry. Um, there wouldn't be a better mentor in the league, I don't think. But I I do think like I'm probably a two on him. Like I know it looks bad. But it was also only four periods. Like, it's really insane to be like, oh, he's toast. Um, And he could be toast, but because he is 37, I think he turns 38 this season, um, which is pretty advanced in age for a goaltender, Um, especially with somebody who's played as many games as he has. Uh, Like, he's the active leader, I think, in in games played for a goalie right now. But... I don't know. That was going to be uh, that was going to be the main concern coming into the season. I think a lot of people were worried about losing Fiala and that maybe being the biggest loss. But going into the season with a goalie in Gustafson who's pretty unproven, despite being a mildly high draft pick, um, and then going in with a you know a thirty eight, thirty seven year old goaltender was sort of gambling a bit. The I mean, today we did publish a roundtable on Hockey Wilderness uh, where we all sort of discussed how we were feeling about the team and whether or not we should be panicking. Uh, And I think some of it, a lot of our concerns were pointed towards Flurry. But the good news is, and this is looking way far ahead, uh, 
But if you were to project out the performance of Fleury, um, like they have the assets to address this if they wanted to. Like if they really need to go out and get another goalie, that is well within reach without really doing all that much to their uh, prospect pool. So I'm not, It's it'll probably work out. Even if we're like 1A, 1B with Gustafson and Flurry for a while, that's probably fine. This team is probably good enough to make up for that. But uh, probably not if Flurry's going to let in, you know, four goals a period. Yeah, the <laughs> only thing is like no help is coming from within the organization if Flurry is bad. And I think that's why it's so scary. Like even if, even if like there's only a 10% chance that he's this washed, like that 10% is looking at like a sixth or fifth or sixth place in the division finish on the year unless they give up some assets to find another goalie elsewhere which you never really want to be doing especially in the cap situation the wild are where it's kind of a miracle they're competing in the first place you'd rather not have to give up something in the future to salvage a year of Kirill Kaprizov yeah but I, I also think this management team wouldn't let it go this far like they wouldn't let this team get anywhere near fifth or sixth in the division I think they know that their window is pretty um not not tight, but like you need to maximize Kirill Kaprizov. That's kind of, I, and I don't think yes. that they they um, think otherwise. So, yeah, obviously it wouldn't be the best plan, but it could happen if if it needed to. And I don't think that they would let it get out of hand. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we will wrap it up there because the game is about to start. Um, thanks so much for joining me, Justin. Uh, this has been Hockey Hot Dish from Hockey World of Destination. Have a nice guys.